How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It is Locked On NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm David Locke, host of Locked On NBA, founder of the Locked On Podcast Network, and radio voice of the Utah Jazz. And we have a massive, massive show for you today. It is going to be just awesome. Western Conference Preview number one. Did you catch Eastern Conference Previews? So here's how we're doing this, and if you missed the Eastern Conference Previews, when you're done with this, go back and grab them on iTunes or Audio Boom or however it is you're listening to this. So what we have done here is the Locked On Podcast Network is your team every day. A host of every single NBA franchise has a host, and that franchise team is getting the insight from that host every day, 15 minutes or so in a podcast forum, and the hosts of each of those shows are giving you the previews. So, the Mavericks, the Warriors, the Rockets, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Grizzlies, and the Wolves all on today's show from the guys who know this team better than anyone. And then I'll come in on the backside and give you my thoughts about it. This show is sponsored by some really cool people. If you listen to Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue, you may have heard of Athletes Collective. Well, guess what? I decided to follow and find out about it. It offers sportswear that offers premium athletic gear at affordable prices without the logos. That's 40 to 50% less than the major brands with the same high-quality technical fabrics. How did I find out about it? Because of those guys. I'm wearing it right now. I love it. And, uh, by the way, you get 15% off your first order with the promo code LOCKED. I'll tell you more about them coming up. SeatGeek. If you're going to get tickets to a game, make sure you download the sp- SeatGeek app and use the promo code LOCKED and you get $20 back your first purchase courtesy of SeatGeek. And Warby Parker, welcome to Locked on NBA. I've got a great story I'll tell a little bit later about Warby Parker, but Warby Parker is a little rebellious company out there that's changing revolutionaries, excuse me, revolutionizing where Boutique quality eyewear is priced. They have changed the world for you out there. Glasses should not cost what an iPhone costs, so prescriptions start at $95. I did the try-at-home program. It's awesome. I got five pairs of glasses shipped directly to my door. I tried them on, took pictures of them. You might have seen on the social networks. Sent back which ones I wanted. We ended up getting two of them. They start at $95 for Polaroid lenses. Prescriptions starting at $175. It's incredible. That's all at Warby Parker. And again, the promo code is locked. All right. Let's get the show underway. I'll tell you more about our sponsors. And really, I appreciate it so much if you support Warby Parker, support Athletes Collective, support SeatGeek. That's what makes these shows possible and make Makes the network possible to give you all of this great content for free about your teams. Let's get us rolling. We're going to start it off with the Dallas Mavericks. Major turnover in Dallas. Our hosts of Lockdown Mavericks will break it down for you. I'll pop pop in on the backside, tell you where our pack numbers are on the Mavericks and what my thoughts are on them. But let's head over to Mike Marshall of Lockdown Mavericks. 
Hi, my name is Mike Marshall, and I am one of the hosts of Locked On Mavericks on the Locked On Podcast Network. My other host, Jacob Kemp, joins me every day, and we uh, find something interesting to talk about, about the Dallas Mavericks and their... 2016-17 season. And there's quite a bit to work with, whether it's Harrison Barnes, uh, the transition away from Dirk Nowitzki being a crutch for them, um, the return of Wesley Matthews, how this team is moving forward and being built and trying to challenge for, you know, a top 5-4 seed in the Western Conference going forward. So a lot of different things are always flying around and uh, in Mavericks land. So the two main on-the-court storylines for your Dallas Mavericks in the 2015-2016 season is, uh, to me, the lack of shot creation from the starting unit uh, in Darren Williams, Wes Matthews, Harrison Barnes, Dirk Nowitzki, and Andrew Bogut. Uh, none of those guys can create their own shot on a consistent basis. Dirk might be the closest thing, and that's going to be a one-legged fadeaway, obviously. So the offense, the adaptation that it's gone under, the second half of last year, they really stopped the ball down and we're playing a plotting style on the offensive end. But they cranked it up defensively, and that's what got them into the playoffs as the uh, as a seventh seed, winning seven of their last ten games, um, and kind of adapting to what they were dealt with, with Wesley Matthews coming off the Achilles injury and Chandler Parsons with the uh, complications with the hybrid micro-fracture he was undergoing. A team that probably had no business in the playoffs last year, and you could tell they didn't because of their first round uh, series, they weren't really competitive in any way because it was a roster full of, you know, guys that could play 60 games at a decent amount of minutes, but not 82 at their new accrued minute totals. And Darren Williams, um, JJ Barea, Zaza Pachulia, and Chandler Parsons was just obviously wasn't quite quite ready. So they kind of had to learn, had to adapt on offense. And this year it's going to be this, more the same, and with fewer ball handlers on the starting unit and fewer guys that can create their own shots. So I'm interested to see that. They need to figure out how to get open looks, get to the basket, and uh, just be an above-average offensive team, which they always seem to do, but this year might be the most complicated route. And the other storyline that I would pinpoint is the newfound defensive aptitude and versatility for the Dallas Mavericks and the additions of Andrew Bogut and Harrison Barnes. We have a lot of big ideas about what Harrison Barnes can be and what he might be and you know how strong he is and what he can do. Uh, defending the paint or defending the block, but none of that's really happened yet. So we need to see just how versatile Harrison Barnes is defensively, what kind of advantages it gives us for him to be able to guard maybe the three through, um, you know, backup five on some some teams, and then Justin Anderson as well, um, you know, a really strong, good wing, wing defender to throw in there with Bogut, who is going to take on the role as the goalie, as the rim defender, as a rim protector that the Mavericks haven't had since Tyson Chandler. It's going to be interesting for the Mavericks to try and change their DNA. They've lived so long on exceptionally good shooting and working off of Dirk, and they can still do that a little bit, but they have to change with the times, and you have to coach to your roster, and that's part of it. So the biggest unknown heading into this season, I'm going to give you two, and it's going to be really quick. The ability of Wes Matthews to bounce back to 2014 form or what exactly we're going to get from Wes Matthews this season on the offensive end, because he's got to be better than a uh, the 50th best shooting guard. He was a detriment on the offensive end last year. There's there's no way around it. Like, I really love the guy. I like his, uh, his game. I really like his abilities, but he was a detriment. And the other part of that is Harrison Barnes, 
he might just say in general, but I'm going to say what he can bring to you on the offensive end. Uh, he's been the fifth option, fourth, maybe at best. In Dallas, he's going to be the second, and sometimes the third. Uh, he has to give you something, and they've already shied away from using him in the same fashion that they did with Chandler Parsons, which was a secondary ball handler and initiating pick and rolls. He's not totally into that. Rick's not totally into that. So I just need to know how you're going to use Harrison Barnes because Wesley Matthews is not a ball handler. Harrison Barnes is not a ball handler. Uh, Dirk obviously is not going to you know, drive the paint and run a uh, ball handling pick and roll. So your offensive options are really limited. And I need to see some growth out of Harrison Barnes. And I need to see what exactly he is when he jumps into a new role. The player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of this Dallas Mavericks season, I'm going to say Seth Curry. The Mavericks swooped in and stole Seth Curry uh, away from the Sacramento Kings, a two-year, $6 million deal for a combo guard, a bench combo guard in that. And if you understand the history of the Dallas Mavericks, they make these kind of players thrive because of how they use them, and specifically alongside Dirk Nowitzki. He can make any combo guard look good. I mean, he made Monte Ellis have (laughs) one of the more spectacular seasons of his career here. He makes this kind of player work because you can always be bailed out by dumping the ball back to Dirk off the elbow. And his, you know, a Dirk jump shot or a Dirk fadeaway is still a decent way to end a possession. But Seth Curry, I think there's a lot of potential there. And Darren Williams is often injured, as everyone well knows, whether it be ankle or hernia or groin or whatever. Um, And J.J. Bray as well. Last year he um, tore his hamstring heading into the playoffs and because he got too many minutes, basically. It started to weigh on him. So both of these starting point guards for your Dallas Mavericks are extremely fragile. And Seth Curry could slide in there uh, and catch a lot of minutes. And they need somebody like him that can create their own shot. So I think at the end of this season, Seth Curry might be thought of as a starting caliber point guard in the league. And you might say, well, I don't want him starting on my team. Well, yeah. There are 30 starting point guards. I think he's going to be one of the top 30 um, point guard options in the league. And if they roll in the next season with Seth Curry uh, penciled in there at starting point guard, I'm not going to say I love it. But if what I think is going to happen this year happens, I don't think it would be insane. So what needs to happen for the Mavericks to challenge for anything other than the 7 or 8 seed is a big Wes Matthews bounce back. Uh, Confidence in his legs, confidence attacking the basket, uh, and consistently knocking down the three. Barnes needs to at least just find a role on the offensive end. And if the youngsters on the team take a step up, Justin Anderson, natural progression, year one to two. Dwight Powell, year two to three. He got a big contract. Let's see you do something with it. Seth Curry, I think he's going to step up. And then Salah Mejri. Like, you might not think of Salah as a uh, super young guy for the league because he's not. He's 30. But this is his second year playing, you know, professional basketball in America. So if you get uh, natural progression steps from Justin Anderson, Dwight Powell, Seth Curry, and Salah on top of Wes bouncing back to Wes Matthews' form that got him the contract and Harrison Barnes giving you a, uh, a plus defensive player with versatility and the ability to at least threaten on the offensive end, and let's knock down some threes while we're at it. Mavericks might have some upside, might be challenging for a sixth seed uh, if you're lucky, but that's a lot of ifs. That's a lot of boxes to check off. So the things that could derail this Mavericks season is an injury, and I mean an injury to anyone. Um, I guess I'll start with Dirk. I would say Bogut's second, Darren's third, Wes is fourth, and Barnes is fifth in your Mavericks food pyramid. If any of the starting five miss time, the Mavs would be hard-pressed 
to win 30% of those games if it's a collection of games. So the most likely scenario for the Dallas Mavericks season is that they are a improved defensive team, top 10 defensive rating team. Andrew Bogut has a contract year. He's contract year Bogut. Um, but they're going to have some growing pains figuring out how to use Harrison Barnes, how to create good offensive looks, um, what exactly Wes Matthews is, what he's comfortable running. The constant there is obviously Dirk, but everything around him is in flux right now. So what I assume will happen is the Mavericks will beat the teams that they should beat. They'll struggle mightily against teams in the top five, top six in the Western Conference, not very, be very competitive against them because they just don't have the talent to match up with those kind of teams. They don't have any tricks to pull. They don't have a scheme that's going to overwhelm you. Their depth is okay. It's better than it has been, but it's not going to compete with you know the, the better teams in the Western Conference on a regular basis. So I'm assuming 43 wins for the Dallas Mavericks this season. We'll see where that lands you, whether that's 10th, 9th, 8th, 7th, or 6th. I assume they sneak into the playoffs probably at uh, the 7 or 8 spot and uh, fend off, you know, maybe your Minnesotas, who everybody's a little bit too high on right now. So there you go. Going to be an interesting season for the Dallas Mavericks, seeing how they transition away from Dirk Nowitzki as their crutch and uh, try to get Harrison Barnes involved and whether or not Wes Matthews can play to his paper. And we might get a little bit of contract year Bogut as well. So going to be a fun year. Um, I would advise you to listen to Locked on Mavericks and, uh, you know, give us a whirl. We're here for you every day. And that they are. Thanks, Mike. I'm not as optimistic about the Mavericks as he is, but I can understand where they're coming from. Harrison Barnes is obviously the huge question mark of what he does with the increased role. Uh, when I start running the numbers on this team offensively, they don't come out as well as some of the other teams. And actually, what's really interesting to me about the Mavericks when I look at them is their short possessions. And what I mean by that is most teams, when you put together their projected possession usage, they come out to about 100 or so possessions a night. Dallas comes out short of that. Dallas is coming out at about night. Yeah, well, you just found out what my thing is, and I am. I'm being a Debbie Downer. Uh, on the Mavericks, so that's probably uh, appropriate that that sound went off right there. But what I was going to say is I think that they're a little short on possessions, and so what will be key to them is whether or not Wesley gets healthy like Mike was talking about, whether Harrison Barnes can carry that load, whether Dirk can still carry it, whether Darren can be healthy enough. I have Dallas coming out as the 11th best offensive team in the Western Conference out of 15 teams. 41 wins is where we're projecting them on our pack ratings, which actually may get them into the playoffs right around that eighth spot, uh, depending what happens with Portland, who does not project out on our schemes uh, nearly as well as some others. But offensively, we have Dallas coming in about 11th overall, so they're going to have to find a way to be a really, really good uh, defensive team in this upcoming season. Uh, we'll see how that plays out and obviously have to stay healthy. Well, before we go to the Warriors, and it's only appropriate because if it wasn't for this guy and Nate Duncan, I wouldn't know about Athletes Collective. Let me tell you about Athletes Collective. Uh, this, is a, this is a really neat company that's there to you know, basically give you uh, sportswear that's premium athletic gear, but without the logo. So then you don't pay the price. It sounded kind of too good to be true until I ordered it, got it, uh, and I love it. The V-neck athletic shirt was the one that I liked the, ma- the most. It's called the uh, Fulkerson V-neck, and I got the laser blue. It's pretty sweet. I also got the midnight blue. I really like that as well. It's 40 to 50% less than major brands, and it's clearly the same high-quality technical fabrics. It feels so good. The clothing is pre-shunk. 
shrunk, excuse me, pre-shrunk, so you can wash it, dry them as many times, and you still stay at the original shape. 100% satisfaction guaranteed, free shipping all across the U.S. and Canada. But so let me go back to that that Fulkerson V-neck laser blue. It's $19. It's 19 bucks for a great athletic shirt. I actually got one of the crew necks and one of the long sleeves as well. Really, really pleased. And we'll give you 15% off your first order at Athletes Collective if, if you use the promo code LOCKED. Check it out. It's just straightforward, coming right at you. No frills, just high-quality, good stuff. The Fulkerson T without the V-neck is $19. I got the Midnight Blue on that one. I'm, the gray one, night, the Contrast Heather, they call it, $19. For a great, high-quality athletic shirt that is going to cost you 40 to 50 bucks somewhere else. So check it out. Very straightforward, right at you, no frills because they took the logo up, and it's just great, high-quality fabrics. Athletescollective.com. Use the promo code LOCKED at checkout and receive 15% off your first order. Another guy who's wearing Athletes Collective right now is Danny LaRue. He's our host of Lockdown Warriors. Boy, what a year they have coming, and he gives you the preview. Hi, I'm Danny LaRue of Locked On Warriors, and this is going to be, as expected, an incredibly exciting season for the defending Western Conference champions. There are a lot of major storylines for a team like this, but the two biggest ones are probably Kevin Durant joining the team and integrating into this offense and defense, and that's a big change for the Warriors because they've had a lot of continuity over the years. Most of their best players have been drafted by the team and played for them their entire careers, and Durant's arrival coincides with the departure of longtime Warriors Festus Zeely, Andrew Bogut, and Harrison Barnes. So they're going to have a big changeover with that, and also Durant is just such a large figure in terms of an offense, What both what he's dealt with in Oklahoma City and what he is capable of. He is the most versatile scorer in the league. The other main storyline is how the Warriors approach the season itself. This is a team that has made it to the finals the last two years, winning once and losing the other time. And so they also have this success in the regular season. They broke the wins record last year. So how they approach it, whether they go hard after games, whether they go hard after the number one seed, is a big overall question. And Coach Steve Kerr has a lot of different ways that he can choose to handle that. It also doesn't have to be rigid. He can play it by ear a little bit based on health, fatigue, and everything of that sort. So it will be very notable to see if they go more maybe towards what Cleveland has done in the last couple of years, which is taking their foot off the accelerator a little bit. And LeBron James' success in the finals in particular could be a, a pertinent, important lesson for this Golden State team in terms of how to handle aging, how to handle fatigue as a team gets older. And while the Warriors are not an old team, they're certainly getting to the point where they want to save themselves for the playoffs, particularly the later rounds if they're lucky enough to get there. Beyond the things that have already been mentioned, the biggest unknown is whether last season for Stephen Curry was an aberration or whether that is something that can be replicated. And so he had one of the greatest offensive years that anybody has ever had. He was somehow able to increase his usage, so the amount of shots and possessions that he took, while also improving his efficiency. And that is a big part of what propelled him to the league's first unanimous MVP season. And it's widely held that that wasn't, you know, that was unusual. That was the best season that he can do. 
but you never really know. He's pushed the limits before. He won an MVP in 2014-15, and the general assumption was that you know maybe that would be his high water mark or something close to that, and he blew through it before. So while it might not be as big of a thing as what happens with integrating Kevin Durant, if Curry can have another season like that and then stay healthy for the playoffs, that means the Warriors will be in a really good place regardless of what happens with Durant. The player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of the season could be Zaza Pachulia. Pachulia has done a nice job in varying situations over the last few years, going from the Atlanta Hawks to the Milwaukee Bucks to the Dallas Mavericks and now joining the Golden State Warriors. And a lot of those teams got worse defensively after he left, but he has looked a little shaky in the preseason, so we'll really have to see whether he can put it together for this team and the Warriors have these options of going to, you know, if you want to call it the death lineup, but the lineups with Draymond at center. And so Pachulia, if he can have a good season, could be an integral part of a, just a flashpoint team, and that could change his perception as he's been more of a cult figure, but it can be this realization of, oh yeah, this guy's a really good basketball player. The way that this season is great is winning a championship. There is no other way, anything short of that, would not be a great season for the Warriors. And that is the pressure that comes on when you have had the success that they have had and when you add somebody like KD and depth pieces like Pachulia and David West is that it's championship or bust. Straight up, no hesitation. And it will be notable because this is the third time in the last decade or so that we've had something close to a super team. The Boston Celtics won a championship in their first year together. The Miami Heat lost to the Dallas Mavericks, and so now the Warriors will try to see which which of those paths that they go on. And that's really what this season is about. It's about winning a championship, and some people think that that makes this NBA season less interesting. I disagree. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and since we will learn a lot about this team and the individuals on it over the course of the season, and that information will make the title picture a little bit clearer, so watching is important. In terms of how the season derails, the most likely outcome is injuries. It is the same thing that derails most other teams, and it's just the Warriors are, are deep enough that they can handle a lot of different things, especially if it's in the regular season, but last year, especially in the finals, we learned that a great team with a sub-100% star player will have trouble with one of the other best teams in the league. I mean, Cleveland earned the championship they won, but Stephen Curry being not himself certainly helped that happen. So injuries are there. You could talk about a little bit the chemistry between Durant and and everybody else, but that should work itself out well enough, especially considering the overall talent level. And the most likely scenario is the Warriors win in the high 60s, 68, 69, something in that range. So not the wins record, but close enough to be a comfortable number one seed. They're then the favorites in the Western Conference, and that makes them the most likely team to make the NBA Finals, and they would be the favorites in the NBA Finals. So the most likely scenario is number one seed and winning the title, but then that's crazy to think of as the most likely scenario, but that's what it's like to, to do this team. So again, I'm Danny LaRue, and I host Locked on Warriors. Thanks, Danny. Danny's got an amazing show at Lockdown Warriors. He also has connected to a ton of great guests, so keep an eye out on Lockdown Warriors. I'd subscribe to it, and then even if you don't want to know about the Warriors' greatness every single day, you can check out and see uh, where they co- what guests he might have on, because he's got great, great guests, because Tim Bottenkamps, who's the uh, Bottentemps, who's the Washington Post national uh, 
NBA writer moved to the Bay Area this year because to cover the NBA, you got to cover the Warriors. All right, let me try to put in perspective how incredible the Warriors are in pack. So depending which way I run their numbers, whether our projection numbers or last year's combined numbers, whatever it might be, the Clippers are generally the number two offensive team in the league. And their group pack, if you add up all their pack, and pack for those who are new to it who have not been a part of it, sorry, I apologize, is points above average created. The concept is that I have figured out what the average points scored by a player is in the NBA for every scoring opportunity. And then I compare every player, how they do to the average player. Lots of numbers are based on replacement level, and I believe in doing it off average because if everyone's above average, you have a chance to win a championship. Uh, and that's the way most of the championship teams have been. So if you take the projected pack for all of the player team, uh, players out there on the Clippers and you add them all up, they end up at 3.1 for the Clippers' entire team next year is their pack. Now, let's put this in perspective because how dominant are the Warriors? If the Clippers, who are generally thought of as the number two team in the league in pack, points above average career, Steph Curry is 5.8. Kevin Durant is over four. And the Clippers as a team, that's because they have a few negatives, are 3.1. The killer on the Warriors is they generally don't have any negatives. The Warriors pack projected out for the season on one, we have different metrics, but call it is 14.3 above league average on a given day. They're going to score 14 points above league average offensively on a given day. On average, the Clippers, who are one of the best offensive teams in the league, are projected at 3.1. This isn't even close. Everyone's like, they're going to take games off. They're not going to try to win. They're going to start the year 20-1 and without even trying. And when they've done that, then they might as well go for the record again. And they're going to get it. They're just that ridiculously good. Sure, you might argue about bench, but I'm not actually sure I buy it. When I look at their bench... David West is still an efficient offensive player. They've suddenly added guys that are actually pretty efficient. Zaza Pachulia is efficient. They only have one player on their entire team that's a below-average offensive player, and that's Anderson Varejao. Maybe McCaw will be because most rookies are, but Anderson Varejao is their only below-average offensive player. So even if you move the ball out of Steph and Clay and Durant's hands, you're still dealing with someone who's giving you an above-average possession. Most teams don't have that. Uh, you know, the Rockets are one of the better teams we'll get into in the league of not having too many guys, but they've got Prigioni, Jones, Monte Yunus, and Brewer, uh, and KJ McDaniel all below average. So that's five guys on the roster. It's, they're just so loaded. Numerically, they peak out. We project them just to win 72 if they perform at average. It's insane what they're going to do. Uh, let's continue on and go to those Houston Rockets. Ben DuBose does a nice job covering the Rockets. This is a team I like an awful lot. We'll get Ben's take, and then I'll follow through after that. Hey, everybody. I'm Ben DuBose, host of Lockdown Rockets. You can find us on the Lockdown Podcast Network. I'm a reporter with Sports Talk 790 here in Houston. That's the official flagship station of the team. As far as previewing the Rockets for this upcoming season, there are two main storylines as I see it, redemption and health. The two biggest names on the team, James Harden and Mike D'Antoni, each has a lot to prove. Two years ago, James Harden was the player's MVP second in the media. Last year, despite averaging 29 points, 7-plus assists, 6-plus rebounds, only the fourth player in NBA history to do that, joining the likes of Michael Jordan and Oscar Robertson, Harden didn't even make an all-NBA team, not even the third team. 
So there's a lot for him to prove. He took a lot of um, reputation hits for his defense. I think it was a little bit overplayed, but certainly the vines, the highlight packages can be pretty glaring. And otherwise, uh, people blamed his leadership because you know what? The Rockets were predicted to be a borderline championship contender last year. Instead, they were a 41-41 and 41 team that was an 8 seed and out in the first round. So there were a lot of problems that weren't all James Harden, but it's kind of like a QB in football. If you're the star of the team and something goes wrong, you're going to take the blame, fair or unfair. So it was a little bit overdone, but uh, certainly Harden's reputation has a lot riding on this season. Now, all we've heard, he's come into camp in phenomenal shape. He's looked great in the preseason in his new role officially as the point guard. And uh, they went out and got him a lot of help. Shooters, uh, a good big man in the nay that can pass the ball. Um, a coach in Mike D'Antoni that plays his style. So there's a lot riding on it, but he's got to go out and prove it. And if he does, can he redeem himself? Absolutely. And he can be the player he was two years ago when people saw him, you know, neck and neck with Stephen Curry as uh, MVP of the league. Same thing applies to Mike D'Antoni. Ten years ago, he was orchestrating those great Phoenix teams, some of the greatest offenses we have ever seen. And we thought of him as one of the best coaches in the NBA, maybe the most innovative coach ever. His last two stops, the Knicks and the Lakers, uh, the results weren't very good. Now, it wasn't all his fault. He didn't have the, the players in place, especially that last year with the Lakers. But you know what? He's got a guard in Houston and James Harden, fairly similar to Steve Nash in terms of creative ability. Um, he's got the shooters with guys like Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson that he needs. So just as it's a redemption opportunity for James Harden, it's a redemption, op- redemption opportunity for Mike D'Antoni as well. The other big storyline, and it goes hand-in-hand with it, is health. Because a lot of the guys the Rockets brought in that are plus players. Ryan Anderson, the stretch four, they've always been looking for. They've pursued Anderson in the past. You know, they've also been after the likes of Chris Bosh. Well, you know what? Anderson's had injury issues. Same with Eric Gordon, who they brought in at the guard spot. Gordon's a great shooter. He's also a pretty good slasher. First time the Rockets have had a uh, secondary playmaker, really, since they lost Chandler Parsons three years ago. Uh, So that should definitely help Harden. But you know what? Gordon's had injury issues. Same with Nene, who they brought in at center after Dwight Howard left. Nene has been a revelation in training camp, playing very well in the low block, also a great passer, which is big for D'Antoni's system. But all three of those guys, Nene, Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon, have had injury issues. They're hoping, the Rockets are, that with a lesser role, um, and being part of a bigger picture like they are in Houston, that each of those guys can stay fresher. But it's going to be a question. If the team stays healthy, I think you'll see the likes of Harden and Mike D'Antoni redeem themselves. If not, well, it could go the other way. Biggest unknown to me is Clint Capella. Because, again, Nene, they are aware he's 34 years old, had some injury issues. So even though Nene can give you quality minutes at the center spot, you probably want to limit him at about 20 to 25 minutes per game at the most. So that means you want Clint Capella, if not true starters minutes, to be pretty damn close. And so far, it is a question. Last year, I'll had seven and seven, 19 minutes. A lot of the NBA Twitter community, especially analytics guys, love him. Former first-round pick. Ton of talent. There are questions. First, uh, can he play major minutes without fouling? He has gotten in foul trouble in the past. Um, secondly, does he have the stamina? Uh, D'Antoni said that that was a little bit of a concern over the summer once right left. He said, uh, so far, so good. They're pleased by how he looks physically. He's put on some extra bulk. We'll see if he holds up. Biggest thing, free throws. Capella's a career 35% shooter at the line. That's simply not playable late in close games with an offense that needs to score the way you know a Mike D'Antoni one will need to do. Now, the Rockets aren't overly concerned about it because Capella's form on free throws is actually pretty good. When he went down to the D-League two years ago, he shot 60%, and it was a pretty enormous sample size. So they think that his struggles at the line are um, 
largely just small sample size, young player that's working his way through confidence issues. But you know what? He's got to show it because until he does, uh, a guy shooting in the 30s is not going to be playable for starters minutes. And if he's not, then you run the risk of potentially overextending Nene. There's a chain effect that goes along with that. So Capella, there's a lot of upside, a lot of promise. But yes, he's the biggest unknown at this particular point. Player most likely to be thought of differently, James Harden. It's easy. This is the same guy who two years ago was thought of as possibly the MVP. A lot of great minds thought of him that way. And then what happened last year, everything that could go wrong did go wrong in Houston. It wasn't just a James Harden problem. It was a franchise problem. The coach of the team got fired after 11 games, and you had an interim coach in J.B. Bickerstaff who had never been a coach before. So, yes, there were a lot of problems. It wasn't just James Harden, but like the quarterback of a football team, he took the blame. He's got better pieces around him now. He's got a coach that's proven and seems to be a good fit for his particular skill set. So if things go well, yes, James Harden can absolutely be thought of very differently at the end of this season than the way he was at the end of last season, where a lot of people mocked him. And despite his gaudy numbers, he didn't even make an all-NBA team. Let's see. If this happens, the season will be great. I'd say if they play average defense, you know they're going to be in a lead offense thus far in the preseason. Over half of the preseason gone, they're the top-rated offense in the NBA. They've scored 115-plus points in every game. They look great offensively with Harden and these shooters and Mike D'Antoni's system and how they move the ball. Question is, are they bad defensively, which is what a lot of people suspect, or can they be average? The pieces are there to be average. They have some great individual parts. Pat Beverly, Trevor Ariza, Clint Capella. There's three of your starters that have been good to very good defenders at the NBA level. We're just going to have to see how they fit together and how they fit in Mike D'Antoni's system. But if you combine an average defense with a really good offense, then you're looking at a 50-plus win team. On the flip side, the season can derail if any of these new guys gets hurt for an extended period. Because really, what the biggest problem for the Rockets was the last couple of years, they shot all these threes. We know that's what Daryl Morey likes. They shot uh, the second most threes in the league last year behind only Golden State, but they were not even in the top half of the league in accuracy. And it's not like they've completely remade the roster. In fact, two of the guys starting alongside uh, Harden, Beverly and Ariza are two of the guys that struggled in the playoffs. You've addressed it with two guys, Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon. If those guys get hurt, then all of a sudden, you know, you're still taking a lot of threes, but you're back in the position you were last year where you're taking all these threes, but you may not be able to make enough of them to be a truly elite offense, which is what the Rockets are going to need to be if they want to be a quasi-contender in the Western Conference. As far as what's most likely to happen, I'm going to go with scenario one. I think they have a very good shot to win 50-plus games and be a solid mid-tier playoff team in the Western Conference. The injuries last year to Eric Gordon and Anderson were fairly flukish. Gordon, a broken finger. Uh, Anderson, a sports hernia. These are not chronic situations. They've reported to camp in excellent shape. And if healthy, I just think the pieces are in place for this to be a major redemption year for James Harden and Mike D'Antoni in Houston. Well, Ben, I have to agree with you. Thanks a ton to Ben. Lockdown Rockets is a really nice show. I agree. I think the Rockets will be a top five offensive team in the league the way they're constructed with Mike D'Antoni's offense, with James Harden driving the truck, with his ability to create offense for everybody else. Nene was a nice pickup for them. He's an above-average possession user. So is Eric Gordon. So is Ryan Anderson. You know, I, I really feel as though if Corey Brewer – doesn't waste a bunch of possessions negatively for them. They're going to be a top-five offensive team. The only question, interestingly, when I ran my numbers on them, they have too many possessions. 
you know, they actually have a lot of high possession usage guys. Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson and Trevor Reese is not that quiet on them. Nene comes off the bench. Terrence Jones wants possessions. So they've got a lot of guys that use possessions and then they have one of the most, uh, highest usage rate players in the league in James Harden at 24 scoring opportunities a game. So you suddenly, that's the only thing that I think could derail them a little more than I've heard people talk about. But maybe if you play so up-tempo, it won't be uh, that large a problem for the Rockets. I believe this is a team that comes in the top five in the NBA offensively. When you do that, you suddenly win games and you make the playoffs. Our numbers do not believe it quite the same way, by the way. Somewhat because of Corey Brewer. We have them actually just on pack alone, has them as the sixth. Sixth-rated offensive team in the league, and then you make their defense struggle, and then suddenly they're right on the cusp of not making the playoffs. Then they're battling with Dallas, and they're battling uh, with actually Sacramento comes out pretty well on our charts in Portland and Minnesota for a playoff spot. So if you if you look at you know if if the numbers turn out to be right, then that's true. I have them right behind the Clippers on some of the other pack stuff as the second be- third best offensive team, but they also can slip a little bit depending on who gets the time, what they do, and they are not projected to be they're the only team of the top level offensive team or western conference teams that's projected to be a bad defensive team. Everybody else, Golden State, Clippers, Spurs, Minnesota with Thibodeau, Utah uh with Gobert, Oklahoma City and Dallas are all projected to still be good defensive teams. And so that's the one area where they could really, really slip. If I may, I want to tell you a funny story about Warby Parker. So I went to, I don't know if you guys remember, there's a guy named Jack Emil who's a writer for the, he writes the Nick. He's done some other stuff, but his, right now his big thing is the Nick, which is on show, uh, uh, Showtime and HBO, very successful. He's a very passionate guy. So we went to lunch together in New York, great friend of mine. And he says, after lunch, he's like, you got to come see this. It's the coolest thing. And I don't know what he's going to show me. I mean, it could be anything crazy. This guy's like Hollywood. He's got crazy stories. Well, what he takes me to is Warby Parker. He th- sits there and thinks that Warby Parker, the glasses eyewear store, is the coolest thing ever. Well, at the time, I didn't know about Warby Parker. So I'm into this shop in New York City, and it's really cool. So it's boutique quality eyewear and then all of a sudden I start looking at the prices and they're amazing and I'm like this is the coolest thing so I'm now all into it too because I can be a little passionate and so Warby Parker was conceived as an alternate to the overpriced planned eyewear today prescription eyewear should not cost a plane ticket or an iPhone is what they really believe and so they have circumvented traditional channels and they're engaged customers directly from their website and retail stores. These high quality, good looking prescription eyewear at a fraction of the price. It's really cool. And their store in New York is so cool. Well, it used to be in the olden days, like it was hard to go to Warby Park. It was so hot. Well, now you just do the try the home try on. So I got, Five frames sent, went to their website, went to warbyparker.com. You should do it, warbyparker.com slash locked. And then I went to and took five frames and you just looked at them, all of them, and they sent them right to me. And then I'm in the mirror checking them all out. I actually took pictures. If you follow me on Facebook at David Locke, you saw them. Or if you follow me on Twitter at Lockdown Sports, you saw them. And I tried them. I took your advice and did the Warby Parker home try-on. Jack's so jealous. He's like, wait a sec. That's so cool. He knew about it because he's got like a million pair. But So it's so uh, it, and the glasses were all reasonably priced. You then ship them back. They put your prescription in them, and they come right back to you a few days later, and you have your new glasses. It's so awesome. Uh, it's just a cool experience. It's buying glasses online, easy, and risk-free. The home try-on program allows you the five glasses 
And then you have the comfort. You try them on. You look at them. You have everybody check them out. You send out pictures. You do the whole deal. And it's cool. It's really, really cool. And the coolest part also, by the way, is who Warby Parker is as a company. They are these guys that four buddies who got together. And one of the things they want to do is make sure that everyone gets access to glasses. So 15% of the global population cannot effectively learn or work, which is crazy because the they don't have access to glasses. So every time Warby Parker, you order from Warby Parker, they turn around and send out another pair of glasses to someone in need. How awesome is that? Check it out. WarbyParker.com slash locked. Jack will be jealous and I will be appreciative. It's WarbyParker.com slash locked. Check out. Order the five glasses. They come to you. No charge at home. Pick the ones you want. If you don't like them, you send them back, and you get a different five. It's really cool. Warby Parker, home try-on. Go to warbyparker.com slash locked. All right, let's continue. DJ Foster's talking the Clippers as we have this loaded Western Conference preview taking place. Hello, friends. This is DJ Foster of the Locked On Clippers podcast. If you've never listened to this podcast before, let me tell you a little bit about what we do. We've got great guests and listener interaction and yada, 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 all that good stuff that other podcasts have. But what separates us from the other Clippers podcasts in the market is that we're not a Homer podcast. We're going to tell you exactly how it is. We're going to be honest with you because that's all I know how to do. Yeah, we're going to make fun of the Lakers like any good podcast should, but we're not afraid to be critical of the team and tell you exactly what's wrong and how it can be fixed. Uh, If you like gambling, fantasy, trade talk, All that good stuff. The Locked On Clippers podcast is for you, even if you hate the Clippers, which you probably should. Uh, But with that out of the way, here's two main storylines for the Clippers this season. The first storyline, and as someone who has covered the team for eight years, my mind kind of drifts to this. What's the worst possible thing that can happen? Can the Clippers avoid early season disaster? That's storyline number one. Uh, This is a team that knows who they are. They know what they can be so long as they stay healthy, but that's been elusive the last few years. A major injury to one of the big three could end up closing the window before Chris Paul and Blake Griffin are eligible for free agency this summer. But if the Clippers can avoid disaster, they can stay healthy, reasonably healthy even. They don't need a perfect bill of health, but just enter the postseason for once with everyone firing on all cylinders. They're going to happily march into the postseason and give it their best run. Uh, Storyline number two for the Clippers is what does the all-in move look like? The Clippers traded for Jeff Green at the deadline last year, forfeited some future assets. They're running low on those, the future first-round picks and the young players to deal. But if the Clippers are healthy and right on track to be a postseason factor, it would kind of be shocking if they didn't make a big deal to push all-in this year. They've done it in the past. Why wouldn't they do it this year with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, both eligible for free agency, right? So which former Celtic is Doc going to trade for? That's the question. Can the Clippers get a real-life small forward who can defend and spread the floor? We've been begging for a 3 and D forward for the Clippers for years. Can they finally find that guy, even with their limited assets? Uh, This is a starting lineup that's basically one piece away from giving the Warriors their best challenge in the Western Conference. The Clippers are very well suited to play against the Warriors with their size. They don't have to go small. DeAndre Jordan can move. Blake Griffin can move. 
They don't have to adjust a whole lot of what they do, but asking Alan Anderson and Wesley Johnson and Luke Richard and Bob Mute to cover Kevin Durant for 40 minutes is sort of a recipe for disaster. So what's the all-in move look like for the Clippers? The biggest unknown for the Clippers, and the thing sort of looming over all of the on-court action is, what's it going to take for Chris Paul and Blake Griffin to stay together? Both are eligible for free agency this summer. So, do the Clippers need to win a title for Chris Paul and Blake Griffin to stay? One would assume that winning a title would be enough to keep both of them, as major free agents don't normally leave teams that just won championships. But winning a championship is kind of hard. What's the cutoff point? Is pushing the Warriors in the Western Conference Final to seven games enough? What if they get swept by the Warriors? What if Chris Paul, once again, doesn't make it past the second round? Is he going to be able to justify re-signing in L.A. if that happens? So there's a lot to watch there, but more importantly, I think you have to look. Are the Clippers still enjoying playing with each other? It's hard for a group, the same group, to go after playoff loss after playoff loss after disappointment after disappointment. So are the Clippers still enjoying their time with each other? Do they still have the off-court and on-court chemistry that they had early in the pairing? Um, It's just something to watch all year, and it's sort of the biggest unknown for the Clippers. The guy who's most likely to be thought of differently this year for the Clippers is Blake Griffin. So after the punching incident and the injuries last year, Blake's stock is sort of at an all-time low, even though his skill level is at an all-time high. So that's a recipe for a reputation adjustment right there. Blake's going to be playing great, but his stock is really low. He's expanding his game. He's shooting more threes. He's spending more time in staggered lineups in the preseason without Chris Paul. That should benefit him. He's going to be able to show off his playmaking more. He's going to have the ball in his hands more. And he's going to be without Paul for longer stretches. He's the best MVP candidate on the Clippers. He's looked fantastic in preseason. We know every year in training camp and over the summer he adds something to his game. He's in his prime. I think this is the year where everyone is reminded that Blake Griffin is probably the most offensively talented power forward in basketball today. If the Clippers keep their core group healthy, if the bench isn't a tire fire defensively, shout out to Jamal Crawford, and if the Clippers acquire a real small forward at some point, the season will be great for the Clippers. What could derail it? We've seen the Clippers deal with injury history in the past, and they've kept chugging along, so we'd really have to see some catastrophic injury for the team to be derailed. Very few teams have a higher win floor than the Clippers. There's almost no realistic scenario where they don't make the playoffs. Uh, But as a Clippers fan, someone who has dealt with talks of curses and all that and jinxes, I'm going to say no more on that subject. The most likely scenario for the Clippers is they lock up home court advantage. They're one of the best three teams in the Western Conference. And then from there, they'll sort of need to get lucky with injuries to the Warriors and maybe even the Spurs and have a clean bill of health on their own. That's never happened for the Clippers in this era, but you'd think the sun will shine on them eventually, right? Thanks for listening. If you want to hear more Clippers talk, subscribe to the Locked On Clippers podcast today. Enjoy the season. 
DJ, thank you very much. I'm pretty high on the Clippers, but I got to admit, after watching how bad their bench played in a preseason game yesterday, I'm a little, little uh, tainted right now, which is probably the wrong thing to do. To have preseason recency bias is the quickest way you can ever make a mistake on a team. But the fact is, they have got four of the top 30 players in the NBA. Last year on the pack ratings, J.J. Redick was the fourth most influential player in the NBA in the league, uh, or fifth most behind Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Steph Curry. He had an unreal year. He has to have just as good a year for them. DeAndre Jordan had an unreal year at 70% shooting last year. Chris Paul is Chris Paul, and if Blake Griffin, Blake Griffin stays healthy, well, new English language has been tough for me today, then they're loaded. They've got four of the top 30 players in the league. I like the Brandon Bass pickup. I actually like the Raymond Felton pickup in the sense that they – uh, I think it relieves having Austin Rivers have to do too much, and I'm not sure where I find uh, Austin Rivers on the floor for you doing productive things that often. Uh, most spates, I'm not totally sure about that. And the small forward position, they still don't have any offense there. It's still a dead spot, and they don't actually have what jumps out to me even more about them is they don't have the roster flexibility to start playing small unless they're going to play Felton and CP3 and put JJ at the three. Uh, that. That's, to me, the one thing I don't like about the way this roster is made up is I don't see a lot of roster flexibility and lineup flexibility for Doc Rivers uh, to deal with. But they're still loaded. They've got four of the best players in the league. Their starting lineup in the first six minutes of games was the best of any in the NBA last year. I don't think that's going to go away. Kevin Pelton, his real plus-minus, had them fading badly due to age, and that's always a possibility, but it seems as though that's coming later than it used to. Our pack rating has them finishing third in the West with the second-best offense and the Spurs jumping ahead of them. There's a lot of people out there, myself included at times, Rob Mahoney, Sports Illustrated, Zach Lowe, who seem to think the Spurs are going to struggle a little bit. There's reports out today from Jackie McMullen, who's so great that LaMarcus Aldridge isn't gelling there very well. So maybe this is the year the Clippers jump up and get the Warriors in the Western Conference. Conference Finals, or maybe this is the year the Clippers, the Spurs all slip, and the rest of these teams all make a run uh, the other direction. Let's stay in Los Angeles, our most popular NBA daily show on the Locked On Podcast Network, other than Locked On Jazz, of course, is Locked On Lakers. That's because Harrison and Anthony have such a good time every day. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. I'm Anthony Irwin. I am joined, as always, by Harrison Fagan. As always, you can find our shows on Audio Boom, iTunes, Silver Screen and Roll, TuneIn, Stitcher, and today's Fast Break. This is a miniaturized version of our show. Basically, David Locke, the pod father, is out there. He, he sent out questions that he wanted each show to answer about the team that they cover. Uh, honestly, it's a, it's a great idea because it's highly localized guys who know a lot about their teams, answering the, the, the kinds of questions that the fans want to know. We'll go ahead and jump into it. Uh, I'll ask Harrison the first, and we'll just kind of alternate here. Harrison, what are the two main storylines to the Lakers season in your view? Well, I think you have to say Kobe's farewell to – oh, no, sorry. That's just – that's habit. Yeah, that was uh, – yeah. Yeah, I, I think mainly it's the kind of ascendance of D'Angelo Russell and the, and the rest of the young players watching their growth throughout the year. And then I think you combine that with figuring out, you know, did the Lakers spend well on these veteran contracts, of mainly of Luol Deng and Timothy Mozgov? Because those contracts, I think, deservedly 
generated kind of a lot of buzz over the offseason because they were pretty surprising, I guess, in the amounts, especially the Mozgov one. And so watching to see whether or not those guys can live up to those deals in the first year of them will be interesting. And then obviously, who doesn't want to watch and see if D'Angelo Russell can break out, see what Julius Randle can bring under a real NBA coach, see what like same thing for Jordan Clarkson. Is he going to come off the bench? Is he going to start? Is he the Lakers best young player right like currently right now? Or is Russell going to surpass him in that this year? Can Larry Nance Jr. force his way into the starting lineup? And all that's without even mentioning the most hyped rookie on the Lakers, Avica Zubats. And I mean, actually, sorry, Brandon Ingram. So, I, I mean, there's just a ton of stuff to watch for with these young guys as well. And, uh, like, those are all fun storylines. But I guess we kind of know those things. What, for you, is the biggest unknown? Can I say all of the above? Like, can, can that be a decent answer? We don't know anything about the Lakers right now. They're coming off of a pretty unmitigated disaster, over the last couple of years, you had yeah. it was it made no sense that they 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 went through this the the Kobe you know retirement tour. It made some sense you know maybe financially, but in terms of what it did for the actual team, that that wasn't very smart. Uh, they had arguably the worst coach in the history of the National Basketball Association. So you know you go down the roster. We don't know, you know, all that much about D'Angelo Russell. Narrative doesn't necessarily completely sum up what he did last season. Uh, we definitely don't know Julius Randle. We think we might know about Jordan Clarkson, and then we come to find out this season it looks like they might be grooming him for a role that we didn't really foresee for him, right? We thought it was going to be D'Angelo Russell and Jordan Clarkson in the backcourt for years to come. It seems more like they, they're, they're getting ready for Clarkson to be more of a combo guard off the bench. And then, you know, you talked about what Dang might offer. You talked about what Mozgov might offer. The, the entire, everything surrounding the Lakers right now is an abyss of misunderstanding and, and lack of information. So I hope that sufficed. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I think you hit it. Uh, all right. My question, my next question for you is the player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of this season. I think it's a pretty obvious one. Yeah, I think it's definitely Luol Deng. No, uh, I mean, we've mentioned him a lot of, a lot this podcast, this little mini podcast so far, but it's Russell. I think nationally, the narrative of him was influenced a lot by the Lakers' former head coach and kind of trashing him in the media a little bit. I think there was definitely, there was the Snapchat gate thing with Nick Young and all the kind of hubbub about, you know, oh, nobody's going to want to play with this guy ever again. No, no NBA player is ever going to trust him. He's back for the locker room he's immature and I think that this year he's not only come in saying all the right things but he's come in and really put it together on the court so I think the year there's going to be a lot more hype about D'Angelo Russell exiting this year than there is really nationally going into it I think locally there's a lot of excitement for him but I think nationally there's a lot less and I think that'll change by the end of the year I think he's going to change that perception I don't know if I would necessarily agree I would say in the casual national nba fan i don't know so if, the majority of fans yes but I, i'm talking about like for the guys that people actually listen to when i think of N, nba twitter or whatever the, the the voices out there those guys those guys are are hyping up russell so i think a lot of people like him but so what would i guess what would make the season great for you all the kids grow up 
they <laughs> all the kids show out. They they meet their they they play close to their ceiling or or a an expecting a a decent ceiling to to hope that we see with these guys. And you know, Mozgov lasts through the year. He's ready to finish his contract. You know, he he's able to to build on uh, or last through a four-year contract, and Dang does the same thing, and Luke Walton shows that he deserved all the hype before he got hired. It, it, again, it's tough to say all these things because we really don't know very much about this Lakers team. Uh, if this happens, you know, if, <laughs> poor, <it's, laughs> poor David sent out a jab to, to the guys from over there at Brew Hoop. Uh, <laughs> if this happens, if X happens, this season will completely derail. And he said that so, Middleton gets hurt. Poor, poor Chris Middleton. That sucks. So, so somewhat the uh, for the Lakers, it's somewhat the opposite of what you said. It's it's Russell's actually a bust. Randall's actually terrible. He like his lack of a jumper means that he's just not going to be a good player. And, and again, these are worst case scenarios. Clarkson, it turns out, is just not a fit off the bench. He's not happy, even though he already has his deal, and he starts kind of agitating about it publicly and privately. Uh, Larry Nance Jr. isn't as good as kind of the little mini hype suggests. Lou Aldang and Timofey Mozgov already can't stay healthy in year one of their deal. And it turns out that maybe Luke Walton's hype had a lot more to do with the Warriors roster than Luke Walton's coaching ability. Right. Yeah. So and, and, I, I know you're crying now, and I'm sorry about that. But what do you think is the most out of those two? We have the sunny one on your corner, and then I gave everyone the darkest timeline. What's most likely? You know, partly cloudy, nice, nice seventy-two degree weather out here in Southern California. You know, the the, the usual. It's always sunny in Los Angeles. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would say, you know, I think Russell gets some buzz about the about the way he plays and 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 his leadership on and and honestly off the court as well. I think we'll start to hear some more stuff about you know maybe he wasn't that immature, you know, or or maybe he was immature and he has matured. You know, we'll, we'll get some of that stuff. I think the most likely win total for the Lakers is going to be right in the, the mid-20s. At the most, I, I think they'll get to 30 wins or so, uh, which probably leads to them keeping their pick and having, you know, keeping their top three pick, which is defend, you know, that's going to be a storyline throughout There's the season. There's a chance they'll keep it. Right, but I, I think they'll finish with one of the three worst records in the league. And, uh, you know, and, and that just means that they might be able to keep a very important piece in this rebuild. So... Uh, I, I think even if even if the the win totals don't match what even the most optimistic you know fan might hope for, there's still hope at the at the there's still a light at the end of that tunnel and it and it might come in the form of a lottery pick yet again. We'll see how it goes, but that was our little mini edition of Locked On Lakers. Come check us out for our full shows. Absolutely. Again, that's on Audio Boom, iTunes, Silver Screen and Roll, TuneIn, Stitcher, and today's fast break. We'll talk to everybody later. Good point on the end there, mentioning today's Fast Break. Hope you've checked them out. They do really nice work. Uh, it's a nice new site. Uh, it's out of FanRag Network. Today's Fast Break is the basketball site. They do really, really good stuff. We've got the Grizzlies and the Wolves coming up. So those are two teams battling for a playoff spot. Before we proceed, I want to remind you that if you are looking for tickets to an upcoming NBA game, want to go to one of the opening night games, SeatGeek is the way to do it. Download the SeatGeek app onto your phone and then use the promo code LOCKED. You get $20 back 
on your first purchase from SeatGeek. SeatGeek is terrific because they compile all of the area's potential tickets that are out there for you, put them in one spot, and then they grade each one for you. So if there's a game that you want to go see in your town or if you're traveling on the business and you want to go to a game, you just look. They can look at the stadium. You can see where the best ticket prices are. They big orange, uh, excuse me, big green circle uh, for your score, for your ticket score, tells you that that's the best. If it's orange or red, it's not as good, uh, and so you want to stay away from it. If it's green, that tells you it's the best ticket score, and those are the best price tickets in the house. You can look at where you want your seats uh, to be in the arena. It makes it just very easy, and then you just do it on your phone, and you get the tickets right on your phone immediately, and you don't have to deal with any of the hassle of it. It's modern technology making ticket buying easy, which used to be such a pain. It's SeatGeek. Download the app right now, go over to settings, enter in the promo code LOCKED. Now you're set and you can just know that when you make your first purchase, you get a $20 rebate back from SeatGeek. Also, if you are traveling or you know of a game you really want to go to, like the Warriors are coming to town, you can set price alerts on those games and they'll notify you when the prices are moving or changing so that you can get the best ticket price. Alright, let's wrap this up with the Grizzlies and the Wolves. Two teams that are battling. Can the Grizzlies cling to the final year of another year in the playoffs? Or can the Wolves climb up the mountain? Let's start it off with Peter with Locked on Grizzlies. Hey there, Locked on NBA listeners. I am Peter Edmiston, the host of Locked on Grizzlies. I write about the Grizzlies for the commercial appeal here in Memphis. I also do a daily morning radio show on Sports 56 and 87.7 FM from 7 to 10 every morning. Uh, so been covering this team for a long time, and this is going to be a fascinating season for the Grizzlies. Certainly, I have to hope, nothing like last year when half the team ended up hurt. The Grizzlies used a league record 28 different players. Rosters were completely up in the air. I don't think it's possible to get anything like that again, so let's just go as if this season is going to be normal. Uh, there is a brand-new coach here in Memphis replacing Dave Yeager, who's over in Sacramento now, is uh, David Fisdale. Comes from the Miami Heat, came highly recommended as a player development specialist, both young players and veteran players. And I have to say, uh, he stepped in and immediately uh, started to show signs that that's more than just a reputation. As right out of the gate, he asked Zach Randolph to go to the bench. The Grizzlies will not start Zebo. Uh, at the beginning of this year, it will be Jermichael Green in the starting lineup alongside Mike Conley, Mark Gasol. Uh, if Chandler Parsons can be healthy, it will be him. And if Tony Allen can be healthy, it will be him. But there are health concerns around those two guys. But the fact that Fisdale came in and immediately established that he wanted Zach Randolph to be a bench player, told him that, told him he wasn't, didn't even think that he was going to get paid like a starter at any point uh, the rest of his career, that's a heck of a thing to say as a first-time head coach to a guy that is the alpha male in that locker room. But so far, it has uh, it has gone over okay. And Zach Randolph is uh, doing well in preseason, at least, in that bench role. Uh, we shall see. Uh, the That's one of the main storylines to the season is to see how Zach Randolph uh, responds and how this Grizzlies team looks as they try to pick up the pace. That was Really the, the big motivation for the move to get Zach Randolph and Marcus out of that starting lineup together. Those two guys on the court at the same time 
really slows it down a lot. And you've seen the Grizzlies in preseason thus far play a lot quicker, a lot more tempo, a lot, uh, a lot quicker getting into their offense. And defensively, it's been a little touch and go, but you can see uh, the beginnings of some, some nice things happening. They're certainly more switchable than they were in years past. The Grizzlies did not switch much on pick and rolls. They couldn't with the personnel that they had. They're doing that now a lot more in the preseason and uh, it's you know there there's some issues with that and communication is becoming uh you know, it's getting a little bit better but that's a, that's a slow process of getting that going but these are these are guys that have played in the league a long time and really didn't do much switching they also are blitzing some pick and rolls more than they have and uh, I asked David Fisdale about that he said actually at some point he's going to ask Zach Randolph and Marcus Gasol to actually switch onto guards and and cover them you know, a la Tristan Thompson in the NBA Finals and what a lot of bigs are asked to do. Uh, that is something that Zach and Mark have not been asked to do. We shall see how they respond to that. Uh, that is uh, that is really the, the, the thing that you want to look out for from the Grizzlies this year. What you don't know is how David Fisdale is going to be as a head coach. have absolutely no idea. You don't know if Chandler Parsons is going to be healthy. That's a huge factor going in. Health has always been an issue for this team, at least in the last year or so. And now they sign Chandler Parsons uh, to a max deal, comes in, and he says at his press conference in July that he's feeling good and that you know he's almost there. Uh, back in March when he had his meniscus surgery, it was originally reported as a cleanup. Turns out it was an actual full-on repair. Uh, six weeks was the estimation. Now that's turned into six months. And still he is not cleared to play, has not been part of training camp, any of the practice sessions or any of the games. Uh, and we're not far away from the regular season starting. So the fact that he has not played means he's probably not going to start the regular season. And when he comes back is going to be critical for this team. Without him, they lose a lot of versatility. To a lesser extent, Tony Allen not having played at all in preseason or really practiced is a concern too since he is still slated to be the starting two, and uh, David Fisdale has already pointed out that he really wants the energy and defense that Tony Allen provides to be in the mix. I think Mike Conley has a chance, though, to be thought of differently at the end of this season. We'll see Marc Gasol and Zach Randolph taking threes, and that'll be kind of a weird thing, but uh, you know, you've known that those guys can do that. Zach's taken a lot of threes in his career, missed a lot of threes, um, but he's taking a lot of threes. And Mark, you, you know the pick and pop that he can provide. You take a couple steps back, it's not that crazy to think about. Mike Conley in preseason has been sensational. Absolutely sensational. Go look at his numbers. His numbers are up there with some of the absolute superstars in the league. This offense, it, again, health is the thing. But if he can stay healthy, David Fisdale has really empowered him to have a lot of freedom in the offense, and it is showing. He looks tremendous. He looks confident. He looks quick. His shot is outstanding. He's shooting 50% in the preseason, uh, 62% from three. He's doing everything that you need him to do, and he's not turning the ball over. The Grizzlies as a team, even though they've sped up, are actually lowered their turnover rate considerably in the preseason. Uh, so those are all positive things. I think Conley has a chance to, I don't know that you could ever live up to the $153 million contract that he signed. I don't know that he's ever going to be a true max player like that, but I think he has a chance to be significantly better uh, and maybe, maybe sneak into the all-star discussion. Maybe. that's There's a lot of great guards that he'd have to nose in front of, but uh, he, I think he's got a chance to be better than he's been uh, at any point in his career. 
Um, the Grizzlies, for, for them to have a great season, everyone has to stay healthy, period, end of story. If they do that, I think they have the potential to be a 50-plus win team. But the flip side is all it takes is one injury, and Marcus All left the game uh, over the weekend with the Houston Rockets with a sore ankle. There's some discrepancy about what that actually was, and you can listen to Locked on Grizzlies if you want to find out a little more of the details. It's kind of a weird weird situation, but he seems like he's going to be okay. If he gets hurt, if Mike Conley gets hurt, if Chandler Parsons isn't able to perform, then that is all it's going to take for this 50-win team to be struggling to make the playoffs. Super competitive in the Western Conference. There's not a lot of margin for error, and the Grizzlies, well, you know what? They are one injury away, truly one injury away from uh, being in the lottery. And here's the bad part about that. Their, pl- their pick is only top five protected. So chances are they would give a mid to late lottery pick over to Denver uh, if that happens. I think the Grizzlies are going to make the playoffs. I think they will be a uh, close to 50 win team. Uh, but again, all of that depends on health. And uh, that's to me the most likely scenario is that they will be a 45 ish win team, maybe 47, 48, comfortably make the playoffs, maybe give that first-round series a good run. They are still quite a bit behind Golden State, as is everybody else. I mean, depending on how you feel about the Clippers and the Spurs, 2 through 12 in the West is wide open. But I don't think the Grizzlies are particularly outstanding among that group, and I don't think they're particularly bad either. So I'm guessing somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 or 6, maybe down 7 or 8, but there's not going to be much separating those teams in the West. I want to say a big thanks to David Locke for having me on Locked on NBA. Uh, please check out, subscribe to Locked on Grizzlies for all the latest and greatest in Grizzlies news. For now, I'm Peter Edmiston. Thanks again. Thank you, Peter. I find myself listening to his show quite a bit. Peter's really good. Really, really good. That's Locked on Grizzlies. We got a lot of people who think they're making the playoffs. Mavericks think they're making the playoffs. Grizzlies think they're making the playoffs. I bet Alan Horton and the Wolves think they're making the playoffs. I worry about the Grizzlies' depth. I mean, I can look at everything, and I actually look at the Grizzlies on two levels where I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. One, I actually think they're going to have a really hard time scoring. Our pack ratings, they come out, and the and the offenses are really good in the West. Let's make sure this is clear. That the the, the Grizzlies would, in our, according to our pack ratings, would have the fifth best offense in the Eastern Conference, and they have the 12th best offense offense in the Western Conference. Okay? That, that tells you an awful lot about what is taking place in the difference in these two conferences. It also makes you wonder sometimes when we think that Atlanta and Boston and some of these Eastern Conference teams are so good defensively, we might want to wait, wait a second. I think the reason they're so good is because they play in the Eastern Conference. But I, I'm dead serious on this. Miami comes out as the fourth best offensive team on our numbers offensively in the Eastern Conference this year, and Memphis is the exact same rated as Miami is. So... I really believe you're going to have a Memphis team that is going to struggle to score as well as other Western Conference teams. And that's that, that's not to say that they're a bad offensive team. Chandler Parsons is incredibly uh, efficient offensive player if he can play, but they're just not quite as good offensively as Portland, Sacramento, Oklahoma City, Houston, Utah, Minnesota, San Antonio, Clippers, Golden State. And, and I don't think they're as good as Dallas and 
It'll be curious to see if they're as good an offensive team as Phoenix. So then it gets to me that Memphis has to be as good as they've been defensively over the years. You have an aging Tony Allen. You have a coming off an injury, Mike Conley. You have an coming off an injury, Marcus Soule, who can't be quite as sharp as he was when he was the defensive player of the year. And so is that a team that's going to be able to be able to defend and grind it out the way that they have in the other years when they've made the playoffs. That's that's the area where I, I get a little cautious about them making the playoffs. James Ennis is a little better than people realize on their bench. Troy Daniels is a little better than people realize. Jermichael Green is probably a little better than people realize. But that bench, still with the possibility of a major injury to any of those guys, really is being taxed. All right, let's go to the Wolves. They're the hot story of the NBA. They're the ones that are most improved, according to the GMs, along just by... What a statement, by the way. The GMs around the NBA voted the Wolves the most improved team. All they really did was they they changed their head coach. Well, he's awfully good. Alan Horton is their radio voice. He's the host of Lockdown Wolves, and he brings you the final preview on today's Western Conference Preview Part 1. Coming up later in the week, by the way, New Orleans, Oklahoma City, Phoenix, along with the Spurs, the Kings, the Jazz, and somebody I'm can't read my right. Who's that? Who's the team that I am missing right there? Somebody, somebody really good. Who am I missing? What team did I just not mention? You're sitting there saying it to me, and I can't hear you because you're talking into a radio. Oklahoma City, the Thunder, the Pelicans, the Suns, the Portland Trailblazers. That's who. I couldn't read my writing up. So that's coming up for you on addition to. All right, here is Alan Horton. Welcome to the Timberwolves Season Preview. My name's Alan Horton. I'm the radio voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves and the host of Locked on Wolves. You can follow me on Twitter at Wolves Radio and at Locked on Wolves. Exciting times here in Minnesota. A lot of people high on the young talent that this team has. In fact, that's kind of been the moniker for this team ever since Ricky Rubio came in the league. You know, you go around the league to all the different arenas and everybody's saying, oh, we love watching you guys on League Pass. Well, that's been nice, but it hasn't exactly translated into wins. And that's our first storyline for the Wolves. Will they end their playoff drought? It has reached 12 years. If that sounds like a long time, it is. It's the longest active streak in the NBA. The Sacramento Kings are trying to keep pace. They're at 10. But it's not only the longest active streak, it's the second longest in NBA history. Only the L.A. Clippers went 15 straight seasons without reaching the postseason. That was from 76 through 91. So the Wolves are trying to put an end to some history there. You know, the players acknowledge it. They talk about it. They want to put an end to the streak, even though most of them, you know, were pretty young the last time the Timberwolves made the playoffs. But you look around the league, and there are young guys that had success early on. Damian Lillard reached the playoffs in his second year. Westbrook also in his second year. Blake Griffin in his second year. Anthony Davis in his third. So it can be done, and the Timberwolves are looking to put an end to that streak this season. The second storyline going into the season concerns the biggest addition in the offseason for the Wolves. And it wasn't the additions of Brandon Rush, Cole Aldridge, or Jordan Hill, the three free agents the Wolves added this summer. It was head coach and president of basketball operations Tom Thibodeau. You know, with the passing of Flip Saunders, this team desperately needed stability and direction in the head coaching position and in the front office, especially with two of their cornerstones in Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins getting closer and closer to the end of their rookie deals. So what did the Wolves do? Owner Glenn Taylor went out and hired the best free agent coach available. Tibbs, in five years in Chicago, 255 wins. The Wolves, in the last 10 years, 250 wins. 
Tibbs reached the postseason five straight years in Chicago. And, of course, the Wolves, as we mentioned, have not been there since 2004. You know, a lot of people nationally were critical of the Wolves giving Tibbs complete control, say over the personnel, balancing that short term and the long term. But so far, so good during the offseason. He drafts Chris Dunn. Dunn had fallen to them. He said he was going to take the best player available. They did, even though that was not a position of need. So you have Dunn now backing up Ricky Rubio. And then in free agency, you know, there's a lot of talk about the Wolves going after some former Bulls players, Luol Dang and Joakim Noah. But Thibodeau and Scott Layden, who spent the last four years in San Antonio, they decided not to spend the wild kind of money, $18 million a year, that, that Noah got and $72 million over four years for Luol Dang. And I think that's a wise move, signaling that they are in for the long haul and not going to go uh, all out in the short term. Because here's a couple of things. It frees up a ton of cap space next season. There are more free agents available for them to go after. There are some teams that have now taken themselves out of the running for free agents next season, or at least to give themselves a, a chance at landing a max free agent. And it gives Thibodeau and Layden a chance to look at this roster and get a feel for it themselves over a year and see who fits and who does it? And I think this is going to be a different dynamic. You know, I mentioned Scott Layden coming from San Antonio. That's the kind of structure I think this front office is going to have. It's more of an R.C. Buford and Greg Popovich relationship rather than what Stan Van Gundy may have going on in Detroit and what Doc Rivers has going on with the L.A. Clippers. And certainly when Flip Saunders was here running things, um, it was very much all Flip doing all those roles. It's more of a shared front office between Tibbs and Scott Layden. Um, and maybe a third storyline is the pronunciation. It is Tom Thibodeau. I asked him directly, how do you pronounce your name? Thibodeau. How would you like it pronounced, Coach? Thibodeau. So if you're going to go full name, technically it is Thibodeau, even though it sounds strange to say. If you do go short and go Tibbs, it's still a hard T. So now you know. All right, the biggest unknown heading into the season I would say who steps into that leadership void left by Kevin Garnett. Even though he only played 38 games last year, only five the year before after being traded from Brooklyn, uh, there was no question about who the leader of this team was. He had the biggest personality. He commanded the most respect. He had the loudest voice in the locker room. So who steps into that role? Andrew Wiggins certainly has the game for it. I'm not sure he's got the personality for it. Cat has both the game and the personality and even said after KG's retirement, quote, I'll take it from here. Now, those guys will likely have a bigger say in the locker room, but I think the most likely scenario to fill that is Tibbs himself. I think he wants to be the lone voice of this team and run things the way he sees fit. The player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of the season? I think we all know that Wiggins and Towns and the trajectory that their career paths are on, so I'm going to go with a different guy. I'm going to go Zach Levine, the two-time slam dunk champion. Most people know about his incredible athleticism and his battle with Aaron Gordon last year in Toronto. It was incredible. But they also know him as the player who's had two subpar seasons. He's been challenged defensively. But what you may not know is that, you know, for a year and a half, he was cast at the point guard spot. He's essentially learning the most difficult position in the game at the highest level. He was completely overwhelmed. He was hesitant. He was overthinking. And that'll happen when you're matched up against Russell Westbrook, Tony Parker, Chris Paul, Damian Lillard. Um, he took a beating, but it did result in a couple of things. It got Zach playing time, which was good, even though he was miscast in that role. And it also put Minnesota in a position to draft Carl Anthony Towns two summers ago and to draft Chris Dunn last summer. Now, right before the All-Star break, the Wolves switched Levine 
from the point guard to the shooting guard spot. And in 27 starts at that position, he averaged 17 points, shot 48% from the field, 45% from deep. Uh, on the season, his corner threes, 46%, 14th in the league. Catch and shoot threes, 43%. That was in the top 20. Pull up threes, he shot 35%. That was in the top 10 in the NBA. He went for 30 earlier in the preseason here just last week against the Charlotte Hornets, and he made it look easy. Now, if his defense can come along enough for him to earn consistent minutes, I think those consistent minutes will be big minutes, and Zach will put up big numbers, and he has a chance to really take a huge step uh, in his third season. If this happens, the season will be great. I'm going to go with two things. One, the defense improves, and two, the Wolves are competitive at the three-point line. On defense, the Wolves have been bottom four the last two years. 30th two years ago, 27th this past season. Tibbs, meanwhile, top five, four of his five years in Chicago. And you go back to his assistant coaching days in Boston, Houston, New York. He's been top five. His teams have been top five 14 of the last 19 years. Minnesota has never had a top five defensive ranking. And that's important because the numbers bear this out. If you play good defense in this league over the regular season, you've got a great chance to make the postseason. Top 15 teams over the last five years in defensive rating make the postseason 84% of the time. You sneak into that top 10, over the last 10 years, 93% of teams make the playoffs. And if you're in that elite top five, you're almost automatic. Over the last 10 years, 98% of the teams have reached the postseason. Only the Milwaukee Bucks were the outlier there back in the uh, 2010-11 season when they were just dreadful offensively, finishing 30th in the league. As for the three-point line, it's been a a similar type story. The Wolves' three-point differential the last two years, oof, brutal. Two of the six worst marks in NBA history. Two years ago, outscored by 3.6 three-pointers per game. Last year, 3.5 three-pointers per game. That's that's essentially starting the game down 10.5 points. Tibbs has talked about closing the gap. That's a common phrase he's used this preseason um, in these two areas. And already in the preseason, we are seeing some of those mid-range shots being redistributed to that three-point line. If this happens, the season will derail. I think most teams could say if they had a major injury to one of their top two players, they were going to be in trouble, and that certainly holds true for the Timberwolves. If Cat or Wiggins goes down for an extended stretch, it's going to be tough to overcome. But I'll say this. If this Wolves roster is not a good fit for Tibbs' system, this team will be in trouble. If Zach Levine and Shabazz Muhammad can't raise the level of their defensive play, both those guys have really struggled at that end. Uh, the Wolves will be in trouble. If Rubio's not a good fit for Tibbs at the point, the Wolves are going to be in trouble. Other guys, rotation guys, Gorgie Jang, Nemanja Bialica, even Chris Dunn. Even if Chris struggles learning that point guard spot and it's a rough year for him, um, this team could be in trouble. They need to be a cohesive group that can play under Tom Thibodeau's system, and if they do, I think good things are going to happen. The most likely scenario well, I've said many times on Locked On Wolves, I think this Timberwolves team will make the postseason. I think the roster, the defense, the three-pointers, the things I mentioned, I think it comes together. And I think for the first time since Carl Anthony Towns was nine years old, Andrew Wiggins was 10, 2004, I think the Wolves make the postseason. I think they finish in a range of 42 to 44 wins, somewhere in there. Um, you may say, well, that's a huge jump from the last couple of years, and it's true. Uh, 16 wins two years ago, 29 last year, but I would argue that 29-win team should have had more wins last year. When you look at an expected win-loss, 
It says they should have won 30. I think it would have even been a little bit higher, 32-33 wins, which I think makes it a little more palatable to see a 10-point win increase um, this season. So we'll see what happens. That is your Wolves season preview. My name is Alan Horton. If you've liked what you've heard here today, follow me on Twitter at Wolves Radio and at Locked on Wolves. Thank you very much, Alan. Great show. He has brought to you the in-arena interviews that I am now doing on Locked on Jazz as well. By the way, I think Minnesota's a playoff team. I think he's right. I don't know if I think that Mike Marshall is right, that Dallas is a playoff team, and I don't know if I think Peter's right, that Memphis is a playoff team. I think Utah's a playoff team, so I think Minnesota's a playoff team, so two teams have to go out. Those would be my two that I think get knocked out of the playoffs. Special thanks to our sponsors today. Make sure you go check them out and support them. Warby Parker slash Locked. To begin your free home try-on experience. What's the worst thing that could happen? You bring the glasses home, you don't like them, you ship them back. So check it out. WarbyParker.com slash locked and do the home try-on. Athletes Collective, so pleased that Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue have been telling me about them, and now I'm telling you about them as well. I really like the V-neck shirt, so you can check that out. Athletes Collective, get 15% off your first order with the promo code LOCKED. And SeatGeek, download the app right now and enter in the promo code LOCKED. Then once you've made your first first purchase, you'll get 20% off. Special thanks to the crew, Mike Marshall, Danny LaRue, Ben DeBose, DJ Foster, Harrison and Anthony, Peter and Allen, great hosts of all the Lockdown Podcast Network. We'll come back with you later in the week with New Orleans, Oklahoma City, Phoenix, Portland, San Antonio, Sacramento, and a jazz preview that I'll do as well. It's all coming up on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.